Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and be sure to let us know how God is moving in your life. Now let's check out this week's message from Pastor Chad. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Chad. If you are not aware of who I am, I get the unique privilege of being on staff here at the church. And this morning, uh, I get the privilege of being with each of you, whether it's here in the building or whether it's online. I am just excited uh, to be with you and share this morning. You know, when I went to uh, college, Bible college, my professor said there are three things you never want to preach after. He said, if you have a great worship set, and people are really worshiping God in a unique way, you really don't want to follow that. That's going to be one of the hardest days you ever preach. And this morning that happened. Uh, Chris, the worship team, the orchestra did a phenomenal job in vertically pointing us to who God is and how he wants to work. He said, the second thing you never want to follow is cute kids on the platform. He said, after that, forget it. Forget it. He's, He's like, nobody will ever listen and you're in trouble. And he said the third thing that will be difficult to preach is when there's a message that is bigger than you are. A message that portrays God in a way that helps you to be unique. And the thing that I realized this morning is all three of those things happened. So I'm just going to shut it down now and we're going to go home and call it a day. No, I'm just kidding. We're we're not going to do that. But I do want to take this opportunity just to continue this series of Lord teach us to pray. As we began this series, what we quickly began to realize is in the series, teach us to pray. What the disciples were ultimately asking was not, Lord, what's a model prayer that we just kind of verbatim follow? You know, just kind of, what's the order that we need to ask things so that we can get our way? Or, Or what's the order that we need to follow so that you will hear us? That's not what they're asking. What they're ultimately asking is this, God, teach us how to pray like you do. Teach us how to live our lives with power and authenticity and uniqueness because that's what we see you doing. You're something different than anything we ever imagined. You're different than anything we've ever seen before. And Lord, if we could just be a little more like you, then maybe we could change the world. If we could be a little more like you, if we could pray and have the power that you have, Maybe, just maybe, things would be different. And so as we begin to look at this prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, we began to realize, man, the way I pray every day probably needs to change. Man, I love what Kevin Elworth, our Shippensburg uh, campus pastor, wrote this week on one of his posts. He said, I want to make sure the words I use are meaningful and not just asking blessings on my own life. You know, sometimes we fall into that trap of, Lord, help me to have a good day. You know, bless this food to my body and uh, help everything to turn out okay today. And and our prayers seem to be centered around that. and, And what we're learning is maybe that's not the intention of the prayer. You know, the second thing we see is that our life is really centered around the way we pray. 
Often the way we view life and the way we view God and the way we view our Heavenly Father and the way we view the circumstances around us really are reflected in how we pray. You know, if we believe that our circumstances are what make us joyful and happy and right, then I pray that way. But today, as we look at this idea of thy will be done, if we truly believe that God's will being done is the most critical and important thing in our lives, what we'll realize is that will transform the way I pray and the way I live my life. In week one, we looked at this, our Father who art in heaven, the idea that he is far above what we are, and yet he chooses to adopt us and call us his son. There's nothing that we have done to earn his favor, yet he says, I, sitting in the thrones of heaven, want to be your father, our father who art in heaven. Hallowed is your name. You know, he is worthy of everything we are, everything we are becoming, and everything that we are, can, are, can be. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah, who is going through a terrible time in his life. It says that the king died and there was unrest and everything going on. And he says, my only reaction when I stood in the presence of God was to fall flat on his face. And then the only response after that was, Lord, here am I. Use me. You know, when we begin to understand that our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name, then we can begin to look at the most crucial part of this prayer. Thy kingdom come. The good life is not found in my success, we learned last week, but my will being submitted all to God. And we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who are excluded. Ultimately, that whole thing leads to this concept that, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. Man, when we begin to posture ourselves in that way, then we come to the place that says this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we look at this concept of thy will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven, we often confine it by our view of God. You know, sometimes we view God as, as this person who's here to fulfill my needs and my wants and my wishes. You know, we see it as this idea of, of, of God's will only, be, only being confined and interested in what I see in my daily life. You know, I believe the second thing that we can find this by is our view of ourselves. You know, sometimes when we look at ourselves, we can't get out of our own way in order to see that God's will is not accomplished only in the workings of my life, but all around the world. It's bigger than me. In Tim Keller's exposition of this passage, he refers to two key guys, two men who prayed some significant prayers that I believe can help us understand this idea of thy will be done. And these two men are Paul and Jesus himself. Paul wrote much of the New Testament to the churches, and, and it's interesting because these churches that he wrote to, they were being persecuted, and, and there were times where they were not allowed to even meet for fear, of, for fear of repercussion. There was division in the churches over the way people were living and how they treated each other. There was economic hardship because many of their livelihoods were being, were being put under, and they weren't able to, to function to their full capacity. There were patterns of unhealthy living that drove uh, them to, to do things that they regretted, and there was political unrest in the world around them. That's not a little familiar. 
I think we could look and say, man, that's what's happening in our world. Yet what we see is we see Paul praying for these people. Now, I don't know about you, but my expectations for Paul's prayer would be something like this. Lord, help them to escape what's going on. Or, or Lord, change their situation so that, so that things begin to be different for them. Or, you know what, Lord, if you would just allow them a few days of rest without having to face things so, so maybe they could catch their breath a little bit. You know, in my mind, those are the type of things that I would expect Paul to be praying for the people. But ultimately, what he prayed for the individuals and the churches, I believe, set the foundation for what we can learn about this idea of thy will be done. In fact, let's look at a couple of those, and I just want you to listen as I read these. In Philippians chapter 1, it says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You know, when we look at his prayer, he is praying for their love to abound more and more. Their love for God and their love for the world around them. You know, usually when I'm facing persecution, I'm praying that God would remove somebody. You know, whether it's by moving them or by moving me or something else. But the reality is Paul is not saying that. What he's saying is, you know what? I want you to understand that God's will for your life is that you're, in these situations, your love would increase. I pray that your discernment would grow and your knowledge of me and your knowledge of him would increase so much that it would confound people. That they would look and begin to say, you know what? Something's different. They're living for something different. Ultimately, God, your will be done. He prayed for them to be pure and blameless. He prayed for the fruit of all righteousness to come through his life. His prayer for them was to live into the redemptive gospel of Jesus Christ. His prayer for them was to understand Christ in such a way that the world around them would look and say, you know what, they're going through the most incredibly difficult circumstances, but they're living for something different. It's not about them. In Colossians chapter 1, we see a similar prayer, and it says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not stopped ceasing to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his gracious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, in this passage, we see him again praying for that spiritual wisdom and that their walk would, that their walk would be worthy of what they had been called to do. But he also prayed for some unique things. He said, give them endurance. Help them to stay the path despite what is going on. Give them strength, the ability to stand up under what is occurring in their life. Give them a power to, to, to handle anything that they face. And then give them joy. You know, 
the interesting thing here to me is that he says, endure, patience, power, strength, and then joy. You know, when it comes to prayer and come, comes to this idea of thy will be done, I want that to be confined to my joy. Have you ever found yourself like that? Lord, Lord just, man, just bring blessings into our life today. You know, I wonder how many blessings we miss because we're not willing to endure and receive the power and have the strength that he requires of us in order to walk through the situation, not just escape it. You know, his prayer for them is that their lives be transformed into fulfilling the will of God in their life. You know, his whole idea was, guys, I want you to walk in such a way that God's will will be accomplished through you, even in tough circumstances. Even when the things around you don't seem to match up to what I think should happen, I want you to walk worthy of that. The key passage that I believe really helps us understand this idea of thy will be done is actually Matthew 26 that they read earlier. You know, this second prayer, the prayer that Jesus prayed when he was about to die, when he was walking the journey to the cross, ultimately gives us what the picture of our prayer, thy will be done, is. In Matthew chapter 26, I want us to understand that Jesus was in the middle of his journey to the cross. He was beginning to experience what every human being deserves. In fact, it tells us that the wages of sin, what each one of us deserves in this life, is death. And when it talks about this death, it's, it's not referring to just a physical death, although that is part of it. It's also return, referring to the death or the separation from a holy God for all of eternity. You know, on a side note, if, if that is something that's unique to you, I want you to understand this, that without a proper relationship with God, we cannot experience what God intended for humanity to experience in its fullness. We were created to be in fellowship with the holy God. And if we don't experience that, if we don't submit our lives to the one who created us to be that way, can I share with you, we can never, uh, we can never expect to experience the pure joy that he, he, he's, he's given us. You know, we can never expect the pure joy that comes when we are in the presence of the Father, whether in this world or in heaven to come. We cannot experience ultimate peace with God or with man without understanding what he's done for us. And this passage jumps to the crux of what that is. In this passage, Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed and go to the cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. And all of a sudden, he gets his friends around him. We know them as the disciples, but it was that close circle. He says, you know what, guys, I am so stressed you know, I have something coming that I don't want to bear, and I want to pull all you guys around me, and would you just spend the time praying with me? And this passage says, you know what? He walks away, and he begins to pray, and in agony he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. You know, he's praying in agony because he realizes for a period of time He's going to experience what each one of us deserve, that total separation.
from the Father. And he goes back, and those that were closest to him, they weren't there. They were, they were on their knees praying, uh, falling asleep. And he wakes them up and says, come on, guys, can't you even stay awake with me for a few minutes and pray? For one night, come on, can't you, can't you wait? And he goes back off for a little while, and he prays in a second time. And then a third time, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to face what I'm about to face. I don't want to face, face the hardship and the abuse. Would you please let this cup pass from me? And as I began to read this passage and contemplate on some of the implications of the passage, I, I began to realize something this week that I never realized before. In his own human power, Jesus could have answered his own prayer. You know, as he began to pray, Father, if it's not possible, let this cup pass from me. He could have walked away and no one would have ever known. The disciples were sleeping. He could have quietly got up and walked away and never experienced his death on the cross. As I begin to think about that, he could have responded in ways that I often do. He could have become bitter. You know, God, this isn't fair. You know, I don't deserve this. I haven't done anything wrong. And he is the one person in all of the history of humankind that could say, it's not fair. But rather, what did he say? Lord, thy will be done. He could have become angry. You know what? No one else is being targeted the way I am. The disciples are sleeping. I'm the one going to the cross. No one is experiencing what I have to experience. And he could have become angry and turned away and answered his own prayer. Let this cup pass from me. But rather, he willingly said, not my will, but yours be done. What he ended up doing was allowing the Father to complete the redemptive work through his journey so that all of humanity could experience relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, as we begin to kind of contemplate these prayers, I want to ask myself, how can I, in a greater way, pray, Lord, thy will be done? I believe we have to understand that thy will be done is surrendering our lives to the redemptive plan of God in our lives. Now, when we look at Paul, what I realized is that God will answer every one of my prayers. But he answers them according to my need, not according to the list I bring him. Let me give you a little bit of an example, an imperfect example of how this works. How many of you, when you were a kid, loved cereal? All right, what was your favorite kind of cereal? Sugar Smacks. What? Sugar Smacks. I think that's what I heard. What else? Somebody else? Honey Grahams. Oh, yeah. Well, my dad, for some reason, growing up, liked shredded wheat. You know, that's shredded cardboard. I I never could understand that one. Now, Now, this is the deal. This was my favorite cereal growing up. Cap'n Crunch. In fact, somebody stopped me last night and said, I never knew it was called Cap'n. They're like, I always thought it was Captain Crunch. I'm like, it says it right on the box, Cap'n. Cap'n Crunch. 
Well, when I was a kid, if you would ask me what I wanted for breakfast, every time, you know what I would say? Cap and crunch. If you would ask me, Chad, what do you want for lunch today? Guess what I would say? Cap and crunch. If you ask me, Chad, what do you want for dinner? Guess what I would say? Cap and crunch. I want the one cereal that tastes the best and has no nutritional value in the world. That's what I wanted. You know, when I would ask for cap and crunch, there was a need that I had. I was literally hungry. I was hungry all the time. I was one of those kids who they ran around. In fact, if you would have tried to put me up on the stage at two years old and say, stand still so the pastor could pray over you, you know, I would be jumping in the baptistry. I'd be over and under the pew. I, I would have been all over the place. And my mom would have been like, oh my word. And I would have got spanked. Let's not say that too loud. But I would have got spanked like 20 times before the end of that. But my mom realized something. She realized that cap and crunch was not what I needed. Now she realized, you know what, Chet, if I give you cap and crunch every day of the life, you're going to have some serious health issues, even worse than you already do when you get older. But what she realized is my mom and dad realized, you know what, even though he's asking for cap and crunch, there's a greater need that he has. And that's nutritional value that will help me grow into the man that I am. You know, I believe the same thing is true in our lives. There are times where we come to God with our list of cap and crunch. You know, our list of things that we have, but as a loving father, as somebody who understands, what we have to realize is when we say, thy will be done, it's realizing that God has a greater plan than what I understand at this moment in time. His greater plan involves me becoming what he desires me to be. You know, as I went through my week this week, I realized for myself, if I'm not careful, I offer up a whole lot of cap and crunch prayers. You know, it's God, would you give me what I want or desire for the moment? But the difficult thing is when I begin to pray, God, would you help me to become who you desire to be in order to fulfill your will. The second thing that I believe these prayers teach us is that thy will be done is surrendering our lives to the redemptive plan of God in all of humanity. Time and time again, I believe the way we face the most critical and painful time in our lives, when we choose to surrender those to God and walk with strength, empower and endurance, which leads to joy, speaks to the world that we desire God's kingdom here on earth. We desire his redemptive plan to come here. And it's going to happen through the way each one of us respond to who he is. You know, one of the perfect pictures of surrendering our lives to the will of God is the picture of baptism. And while we don't have uh, individuals being baptized in this service across our entire weekend, we've had, I believe, five or six individuals who are choosing uh, to say, God, I'm surrendering my entire life to you. How many of you growing up sang that song, I Surrender All? 
Anybody sing that growing up? Yeah, quite a few of us. I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I'd go to, I went to a Baptist church in Joliet, Illinois, and I think that was the anthem of the church. You know, it's kind of like after every, after every time the guy, my dad preached, it was like, I surrender. And, you know, they'd stand up there waving their arms and, and doing all that. But this is what I know. This is what I know. There was something unique about that song that one Sunday when I was about a 12-year-old boy, that I began to realize through his word and even the singing of that song that there, there's something in my life that is missing. Until I'm willing to say, God, all to you, I surrender. Not out of will, not out of necessity, but out of freedom. It says, I freely surrender all. As we look at this Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name, is your name. It's who you are. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, and we have to say both in our lives and in the world around us. And as we begin to do that, I believe what the Lord is saying, this prayer, the culmination and the highlight of this prayer is when we can fully surrender to his will in our lives. This morning, what I want us to do is each one of us has to make that choice for ourselves. Nobody can make it for you. Nobody can make the decision for you and you to surrender. That is something you must do on your own. As a prayer of surrender this morning, I want us to stand together, and we're going to take a moment and recite the Lord's Prayer together. So stand with me. I don't want this to be something that, that you feel like, hey, I've got to do. But rather, I want it to be from our hearts that says, Lord, in the model that you've given us, we're surrendering everything we are. We're surrendering what we are becoming, and we're surrendering the world around us to you. Would you say this with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we as a people are saying, Lord, our hands are open. Your will be done both in us and in the world around us. And Lord, there are many of us this week who are going to need endurance to face the journey ahead. We're going to need the strength that only comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to need to have a greater understanding of who you are in order to face what is ahead. But Lord, I, I believe that we can take joy because your will is being accomplished both in us and in the world around us. Help us to live that way. Help us to pray that way. And we ask it all in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at grandpoint.church. And until next time, remember that you belong here.